Welcome back to the swamp, my friends, and welcome if you are new. If you love the great outdoors but also enjoy a good scare, then you're in the right place. This show is all about exploring the spine-tingling tales of hikers who have encountered the unexpected, the supernatural, and the downright terrifying while exploring nature's beauty. From strange creatures lurking in the woods to unexplainable phenomena on the trail, we'll delve into the most chilling hiking experiences sent into the swamp today. So, sit back, grab a snack, and get ready to hear some of the scariest stories from the great outdoors. If you have a story that you would like to share, be sure to submit it at swampdweller.net or to the email you can find in the description down below. You can also submit your stories on Reddit at r slash thedarkswamp. Blue Ridge Hiking Experience by Ty H26 This happened a couple of weeks ago. It was a sunny day. My wife and I decided to go hiking and have a picnic. This was in the Blue Ridge Mountains. We got our backpacks out and began hiking when we arrived at a parking area. We eventually came to a river. It seemed like an excellent place to have our picnic. It appeared to be peaceful at first. My wife laid down a blanket and we started pulling out our food. We just had some sandwiches, lemonade, bottled water, and some cookies. Nothing too crazy. It was a lovely day with fantastic scenery. Regardless of all the beauty, I started having an uneasy feeling. I didn't say anything to my wife about the feeling. I didn't want to worry her. A few minutes later, we heard a rustling in the trees in the woods. We looked around, but we didn't see anything. My wife says, I don't like it here. She said she felt spooked from the time we sat down. I thought we were being watched as well. Even the hair on my arms and neck was standing up. We hear more rustling. I told my wife we should start back to the truck instead of finishing our hike. For whatever reason, we decided to leave our food in case it was a hungry animal. I know, this was a dumb idea. We started going back to our truck and my wife said, Do you hear that? I said, yes, just keep walking. There was more rustling behind us, and whatever it was had started to follow us. The footsteps got louder and closer. The footsteps didn't sound like that of a human. Whatever it was, was big. My wife started to get nervous because we both thought, if we left the food behind, we would be okay, and it would just go for the food. I guess we were wrong. I started feeling like we were on the menu for whatever was stalking us. My wife had tears running down her face and I took her hand and told her to start walking faster. I was afraid for us to run in case whatever was following us was actually a predator like a mountain lion or a bear and would start chasing us and run us down. Whatever it was stayed with us, but we couldn't see a single thing. We kept moving and were getting tired. We still kept going though. Finally, we made it to the parking area where our truck was. I looked around, but I still didn't see anything. We threw the backpacks in and hopped into the truck as fast as we could. I backed up and then put the car into drive. I floored the gas pedal. We were so relieved but also terrified. We didn't say anything for quite a few minutes, but then as we were getting down the road, my wife asked, What do you think it was? I said, I have no idea. I'm not sure I really believe in Bigfoot, but I don't think this was a bear. Whatever this was, it was on two feet It sounded big and heavy. It stalked us. I've never been this afraid in my life. We won't ever go back to this area again. It reminded me of a classic horror movie. But this was real. It's only been a few weeks since then. 
and I'm still scared because I wonder what could have happened if I had not chosen to return to my truck and leave instead of continuing to hike. Thank you, Swamp Dweller, if you tell my story. People should know the importance of being alert to their surroundings in the wilderness. As I've heard others say, I believe there could be things we don't know about. Near Miss on the Pacific Crest Trail by Oryx Temple A few years ago, I was hiking the southern portion of the Pacific Crest Trail in Washington State. It was late June, so it was warm enough that water sources were valuable. I made camp toward the end of the day in a mildly used site. It was just a few feet off the trail but not deep into the woods by any means. A babbling brook was easily about 50 feet away from me, so I felt comfortable. As I was heating my water on my tiny stove for dinner, an older, 60-ish-year-old man walked down the trail. He saw me and hollered to ask if I had any water. He wore regular jeans, sneakers, and a white button-down t-shirt. There was no backpack or anything, and this was pretty odd to me. I was far enough down the trail, maybe 10 miles or so, from any road that a day hiker would have been extremely rare at that point. I welcomed him into my camp and gave him water from a jug. He drank it, thanked me, then walked on. I thought it was odd enough and it stuck in my mind, but I didn't freak out too much about it. Following week, I came off the trail to a nearby town and learned a massive search for a guy in his 60s wearing jeans, sneaker, and a casual white button-down shirt had been underway. He had abandoned his car near the Pacific Crest Trail and was on the run from the feds for money laundering and other white-collar crimes. I never did learn if they found him. I often wonder how far he got without gear, food, or water. A small part of me hopes he got away. A Traumatic Hiking Trip by Anonymous this incident happened quite a few years ago, so I apologize for the confusing information. I'm just writing what I remember. So one day in the summer of 2017, it was a gloomy day at our walk start, but that's irrelevant. My best friend and I had decided to go for a hike. This time we decided to take the trail, even though we usually just walked off trail wherever we wanted. We took a break as we got to a bench, which was just over halfway through the trail. A young girl and her dog were jogging down the mountain, nothing unusual, so we assumed it was safe to go to the top. Once we got to the last turn before the top, I began to feel very uneasy, but we continued anyway. Near the top was a slope with lots of rocks and rubble. I could see three or four men at the top conversing behind a bush, so I stopped dead in my tracks. I heard one of the men say frantically, Hide the body! Hide the bag! He said it just loud enough that my best friend and I knew what he had said. My friend took a couple of steps forward to see if it was just some teens messing with us, but it was indeed a small group of men with a body bag. I never saw the bag personally, I never saw the body or any of the men's faces. So me and my best friend said quietly, What do we do? Then we gave each other that get me the hell out of here look and booked it for dear life. None of the men followed us, and we safely descended the mountain. We made a police report because my best friend saw the bag, the men, and some old blood on the bag. Despite the local police not believing us, they scraped the mountain and searched everywhere. They initially didn't believe us and found nothing. 
But shortly after this encounter, a news report came out about an Australian guy that went missing, and his remains were found in my hometown. Then the pieces started to click in my head. I believe the man was killed before they brought his body to the mountain to dispose of it. If you think about it, they probably wanted the body found if they were stupid enough to ditch it on a public mountain with a hiking trail. Of course, the news report never mentioned me or my best friend reporting this because who would believe two teenagers, I guess, plus a search team had found the remains of the poor guy. So, of course, they're going to get all the credit. I, I still don't know, to this day, why this happened. But all I can say is I'd never lie about witnessing something like this. It was truly messed up, and I think about it every single day. When I would hear the adage, right place at the right time, I'd think to myself, yeah, okay, it's all just coincidence. But after what I've been through these past six weeks, my mind is changing. Maybe you are put in a specific place at a specific time for a reason, but I digress. As most of you know, the Pacific Northwest, for those unfamiliar, was recently ravaged by an ungodly number of wildfires. Seeing all the little fire emojis dotted all around the maps of California, Oregon, and Washington made my heart ache. My home was burning, fortunately for myself and my family. Our area had not been hit as hard as many others. I had planned on camping for quite a few weeks prior to this pandemic of wildfires. So I was happy to see that my usual spot was not near any major fires and subsequently had been deemed safe to camp and travel in. I am a camping enthusiast and enjoy deep wilderness camping on the Pacific Crest Trail as much as I can. My usual spot is remote. It requires an hour drive up a two-lane road into the middle of nowhere. This is followed by a 30-minute drive up an old logging road that ultimately crests a small mountain. The mountain slope leads into a beautiful valley, with much larger mountains encircling the valley from the north and east. In the center was a decently sized clearing, a valley if you will. The clearing was littered with fallen logs, beautiful pink and yellow yarrow flowers, and the occasional family of white-tailed deer. This was my true happy place. This valley does have a name, but I will keep it hidden for anonymity purposes. I left on a Tuesday morning in early September. The drive to the mountain was relatively uneventful. Besides almost hitting a large buck who decided to cross the road right in front of my truck, I arrived on the mountain's crest and began unpacking the bed of my truck. I had just recently bought a new 2020 Toyota Tacoma. I parked my truck facing the clearing. Roughly five feet from the edge of the small drop-off, the slope down to the valley wasn't steep and is very easy to hike down. I would definitely call it a beginner's trail. I'd say it's about 400 to 450 feet from where I parked down to the valley floor. I had camp set up just as dusk was setting. I usually would have a large fire going, but with the previously mentioned wildfires, that was not really going to be possible. I brought a small propane stove and a space heater to prevent any accidents. As I finished gulping down my last bite of dinner, I noticed it was quickly growing dark. I hopped off my tailgate and made it into my driver's side door. As I was digging in my pockets for my keys, I looked down into the valley and noticed something quite strange. I could make out two circular small lights in the far distance. They flickered as they quickly moved closer to the clearing. It looked as if they were hovering and navigating through the trees at a steady pace. I crouched down in front of the truck and looked on, curiously. I watched for a few minutes until the lights eventually arrived at the tree line of the clearing. 
I could hear the humming of a motorcycle engine or something like that echoing from the valley. That's when I realized what I was staring at. What on earth were these two people doing riding dirt bikes all the way out here, in the dark? This was the first time I had ever seen another person out there. The lights were stationary at this point. I assumed the two riders were off their bikes and walking around the clearing. Although that is only speculation, as I couldn't see anything aside from the two bike headlights. I knew they couldn't see me as of yet, as I had no visible lights or a campfire. I instantly thought to grab my phone out of my glove box. Local news stations warned the public of suspected people intentionally starting fires in the woods. They encouraged citizens to be vigilant and gather any evidence they could. In an absolute lapse of judgment, I pressed the unlock button on my keys. My truck lights flashed, and a loud beeping sound rang out. I had just given a beacon of my location to these midnight riders. In a rush of adrenaline, I threw myself on the ground stomach first. My mind was screaming, Good going, Einstein! I could barely think as my heart was pounding in my ears. I watched as the bike lights began to turn back in the direction they came from and eventually disappeared into the darkness. I could hear the engines revving harder than they had before. That unsettled me a bit. As I stood up and brushed myself off, I began thinking about how odd it was. Usually, people with good intentions do not run off like that when they notice another camper. These people were obviously up to no good down there. Maybe drug traffickers, meth cookers, arsonists. My mind was filled with all the potential threats I might have alerted to my location. I sat in my truck and mulled over the options. Should I drive home? What if they were waiting for me at the end of the logging road? Was I overreacting? I decided to pack up camp and spend the night in my truck and drive home first thing in the morning. After packing everything up, I drove down the logging road a little way and backed into a small gap in the mountain face. That way, if the midnight riders decided to pay me a visit, they might miss me. I was in full paranoia mode. I lowered my seat back, racked around in my shotgun, and eventually dozed off as adrenaline turned into exhaustion. I awoke to my alarm, with my life for hire by a day to remember blaring from my phone. In a groggy daze, I sat up and rubbed my eyes. My phone said 6.32am. Looking at my windshield, I could see some thick brown smoke swirling in the wind. As I stepped out of my truck, I was hit with the intense smell of burning wood. As you guessed it, there was a fire very close by. I jumped back into my truck and raced back up the mountain. From my camping spot, I'd be able to get a better understanding of the situation. As I drove up way too fast up this narrow logging road, I noticed the smoke was thinning out as my elevation grew. My heart sank at this realization. When I reached the crest, I jumped out into the truck bed and looked out over the valley. I could see blue skies above the mountains across from me, to the north and east. My heart sank as I confirmed my suspicion. I turned towards the logging road to my right. I could see the smoke thicken from that direction. I was trapped. My mind instantly went to the two riders from the previous night. I grabbed my phone, praying for a signal. Of course, I had no such luck. I jumped off my truck bed and threw my passenger door open. I frantically searched for my backpack. I ripped it apart. Once I found it, looking for my GPS satellite phone, I kissed it with joy when I grabbed it from the bottom of the bag, flipped it open, and thanked the Lord I had a signal. I called 911 to report the fire and request help. I chatted with the operator for somewhere around 15 minutes or so. The operator said she'd connect and have local wildlife firefighting companies come out ASAP and attempt to get a helicopter to evacuate me. After being on hold for a few minutes, I was transferred to a helicopter pilot with a wildland firefighting company that was nearby. 
I mentioned the valley by name and the man said he knew where it was. He claimed they were sending a helicopter to pick me up and that I needed to be there and ready to leave as soon as they landed. After we disconnected, I rushed to clear out my truck of any valuables. Sadly, rubbed the dashboard and said sorry to my new truck as it was evident the fire would eventually consume her. I then gradually started making my way down the slope into the valley. After only falling a few times, I reached the valley floor. I bolted through the trees, towards the clearing. My lungs were on fire as I was nearing the clearing. As I broke through the tree line, I collapsed on the ground, gasping for air. After only a few minutes of lying there, catching my breath, I got back into my feet. I started walking towards the center of the clearing. When I got to what I assumed was the center, I glanced up at the peak of the small mountain. I could see my bright red truck sitting there where I left it. Roughly 200 feet off the left was a wall of fire. Black smoke was rising from the wall as it raced up the mountain. I turned away not wanting to watch $39,000 literally go up in flames. I began scanning the sky searching for my rescue. I concentrated on listening to the chopping sounds of helicopter rotors. As I stood there listening, I heard something else that made me question my sanity. Just off to my left I could hear someone crying. A shock wave ran through me. I stood there unable to believe my ears. I upholstered my handgun and called out. Hello? Someone there? I then began to hear a muffled screaming. I ran towards the screaming and trying to hold back tears. I noticed a piece of plywood, roughly four feet wide, eight feet long, covered in branches and dirt. It was laying on the ground with a large boulder set on top. I called out, Hello? I heard the muffled screaming again, this time much louder and unmistakable. Is someone really under this plywood? I thought to myself. I rushed to move the boulder. After struggling for a few minutes, I finally managed to push the boulder off the plywood. I slowly lifted it up and threw it to the side. What I saw was something I will never forget. Sitting inside a small hole, probably no bigger than four feet by four feet, was a woman. Her wrist zip-tied and her mouth gagged with a piece of cloth. I gasped and took a step back. I couldn't believe it. What the hell was going on? The woman was frantically looking around. I snapped out of shock and rushed to help her. She flinched as I reached out to grab her. I lifted her out of the hole. I took the cloth from her mouth as she frantically started yelling in Spanish and raising her arms. I told her to calm down, you're safe now. I cut the zip ties that were binding her wrist. She instantly started pointing behind me, repeating, Mijija! I didn't understand her or really what that meant. I knew no Spanish. I turned around and quickly see four more pieces of plywood scattered across the clearing. I was horrified. I rushed over and started to flip them over one by one, but they were empty. The woman, following me as I did this, let out a painful cry as I flipped the last piece of plywood over, exposing a fourth and final empty hole. She collapsed on the ground and began sobbing. I tried to ask her what was wrong, but I couldn't understand her. As I attempted to console her, I could hear the distinct sound of helicopter rotors. I looked up to see the chopper descending into the valley. I helped the woman up and put her arm over my shoulder as we rushed away to the awaiting chopper. A man jumped out of the side doors. As we reached out, he said, You didn't tell us there was two of you. I yelled back, trying to be heard over the rotors. I just found her. I have no idea what is happening. He replied with, y You found her. What are you? Never mind. We don't have time. Get in. He helped me get into the helicopter and shut the doors. Soon after we started to ascend, I looked down over the valley to see the fire engulf the peak and was halfway down the slope towards the valley. I sat back in relief. I was finally safe, but I had so many questions. The state police and EMTs met us as we landed back at the base camp. I explained the entire situation and they took the woman and me back to the station. Eventually, I was released after retelling my story to six different officers. My wife picked me up and I was able to return home.
That was not the end, unfortunately. Over the last six weeks, I have been interviewed by local authorities, state authorities, the U.S. Marshals, ICE, and even a pair of FBI agents. My final interview was with the two FBI agents. They were the only ones who gave me any real information on the situation. After retelling my story, just as I did here, they filled in some holes for me. They explained to me I most likely stumbled upon a human trafficking operation. When I unlocked my truck, it spooked them. He said I was lucky that I hid in that gap when I did, as they most likely went up the logging road to quote-unquote handle me. When they couldn't locate me, they probably assumed I had left to get the police, so they packed up any valuable assets, including the woman's young daughter, and started a fire to destroy any evidence before I could alert the authorities. I asked about the girl. The older agent informed me that she and her daughter were kidnapped from Nicaragua. The woman claimed that they were set to be sold to a wealthy Russian ogliarch. She was being held in government custody until she could be returned home safely, he said. She's lucky you came along when you did. You were at the right place at the right time. Fresh out of high school, my friends and I decided to take one last trip together before we all split up to go to college. The Pacific Crest Trail was the destination. A few nights of drinking, hiking, and camping was exactly what we needed together. Ian, my boyfriend, picks me up from my house. I've never been to the Pacific Crest Trail, so he tries describing its beauty the best he can. Babe, you're gonna love it, I promise. Nothing but fresh air and wilderness. We will be one with nature. I'm not so sure Mother Nature would approve of the ungodly amount of alcohol you have in the cooler. Well, what about this? Ian pulls out a sandwich-sized Ziploc bag of weed. I know Mother Nature would approve of this. She grew it. You've been holding out on me, I said, snatching the bag from his grip. I open it and take a deep breath inhaling the familiar aroma. It's a long ride. Might as well roll one up for the road. Sounds good. I'll call the others and get them to meet us at the location. Ian connects his phone on his Jeep radio, putting on his 80s hair metal playlist. I light the freshly rolled joint, and we settle in for a road trip. We decided to meet up at the Bridge of Gods. The Bridge of the Gods sits at the convergence of the historic Columbia River Highway State Trail, three national historic trails, and the Pacific Crest Trail. We walk over the bridge together, being extra careful because there is no shoulder on the narrow bridge, and we must share with cars and trucks. We make it across with no problem and hike for a while until we decide to go off trail to find a spot to set up camp by the river. Three tents between six people, Nova and his girlfriend Tessa, the twins Sadie and Katie, and finally myself and Ian. I sit back with a black cherry white claw and take in the beautiful, beautiful surroundings. The sky let out an orange glow as the sun sank behind the jagged mountains. The mountains came down to meet the cold, untamed river. Nova and Ian began to make a fire before the night came. As the darkness falls, the alcohol flows. The flicker of the flame lights the night. We all reminisce about high school and talk about all that we would like to do for our future. Ian gets quiet and stares off into the darkness that is the river. What's up, Ian? I ask. I think I can see the outline of a boat floating not far off the bank. We all look in that direction, Ian pointed. Yeah, I think I see it too, Katie said. Nova walks over to his backpack and pulls something out. 
He twirls it in his hand and looks at it for a moment, before putting it in the direction of what we think is the boat. Is that a gun? Put that up, Nova. I spoke. Chill out, Brittany. It's just a flare gun, Ian said as he grabbed my hand to calm me. Nova pulls the trigger, and a trail of light streaks out towards the boat. It lights up the immediate area around the dark outline. It was a boat. Not just our mind playing tricks on us in the dark. Two people stood in the flat-bottom boat, looking our way. They wore orange hoodies that hid their face. Oh my god, people are watching us, Sadie said. Get the hell out of here, you damn weirdos, Nova shouted. Nova and Ian began picking up rocks on the riverbank and throwing them at the boat. After a few moments, we could hear the engine start and drive away. We finally get over being freaked out. We did our best to put the incident behind us and continued drinking and partying throughout the night before eventually passing out in our tents. I woke the following day to a commotion outside. I unzipped the tent and dragged myself out. The sun hit my eyes and I winced as a sharp pain shot through my head. Drinking obscene amounts of alcohol seems like a great idea until the next day. When you have to wake up with a splitting headache and you get a queasy gut. I see Ian with his hands clasped on top of his head, standing in front of a flat bottom boat and sat on the riverbank on our campsite. Ian, what's wrong? What's going on? I ask. These assholes from last night, they docked our boat here, stole all of our supplies while we were sleeping. Nova walks up behind us. I'm having trouble finding the trail. I have some food and water stashed away in my tent. Let's refuel and go look like a group. After eating, with no supplies, we decided to cut our trip short, pack up, and look for the trail we strayed from to get to this riverbank. Let's split up, Nova said. We can go in pairs of two. Try not to stray too far from the others, so if you find the trail, you can alert the others by yelling. Nova and Tessa enter the woods. Sadie and Katie enter about 20 yards away, and Ian and I do the same. Ian grabs my hand and he leads the way. We say nothing to each other, only the sound of twigs breaking and brush under our feet fill the silence. I think I see something, Ian said. I look around to try and see what he sees, and that's when I notice it. I think we both figure out what it was at the same time by the terrified look we gave each other. To our left, a man in a bright orange hunting hoodie stood several yards away. He didn't move. He just looked at us. A camouflaged ski mask covered his face. He didn't move even when we ran into the opposite direction of him. Even without being chased, we ran as fast as we could, leading to me tripping over some undergrowth and falling. My extended hands were the only thing stopping me from slamming my face into the unforgiving ground. A sharp pain shot through my wrist into my elbow. I let out a yelp in pain. I'm not sure if it's broken, but I know it's at least sprained. The price I had to pay to save my face from colliding with the forest floor. Ian quickly comes to my side, helping me up and inspecting the hand. I held it close to my body. He flexed the wrist, sending a shockwave of pain through my arm, causing me to jerk my hand away. Behind him, I noticed some movement. It was one of the men in the orange hoodie stepping out from behind some trees. I point a shaky finger behind Ian at the man. Ian glances over his shoulder to see what has me so shaken. We'll check this out later. Right now we have to run. Ian grabs my elbow, careful not to touch my hurt wrist. We make a hard left and quickly make our way to what is hopefully the trail we came in on. 
We break through the trees, but it, it's not the trail. It's a small clearing. It looks like someone has recently been here. A still smoldering fire set in the center of the small clearing. Sadie and Katie break through the brush into the clearing a few feet away from where we came in, followed by Nova and Tessa shortly to the right of where we came in. We all share stories, and they all sound very similar. These men funneled us to this spot, Katie said. Why do they want us here? What, what do they want? Nova responded. Well, you did shoot a flare at them, I say to Nova. The creeps were floating there watching us. What was I supposed to do? Stop fighting. It'll get us nowhere. We need to figure out how to get back to the trail, Sadie interrupted. We looked around the clearing. It was roughly about half the size of an NFL football field. There was nothing out of the ordinary other than the smoldering pile of coals left behind. Let's turn around, together, and enter the woods and search for the trail. It has to be close, Ian said. We began to walk towards the section of woods we had entered the clearing through, and several of the men with orange hoodies and camouflage masks stepped out of the tree line. We turned as a group and began running in the opposite direction. We got halfway to the other side of the clearing before there were more men wearing the same orange hunting hoodies and camouflage masks stepping out. More emerged from the tree line surrounding us. I'm pretty sure there were 12 of them in total. Some of them had rifles in hand. Our group huddles together as it looked like these hunters were slowly closing in around us. Two hunters grabbed the twins, Sadie and Katie, and begin to drag them away, kicking and screaming. Ian and Nova run towards the two hunters that grabbed the twins. Nova throws a punch that connects with the hunter's chin and drops into the ground. Nova grabs Sadie by the hand to help her up when a loud boom fills the air. The unexpected explosion temporarily disorients me. My ears ring. I look around confused about what just happened and where the explosion came from. I hear Sadie let out a terrified scream. I look to see her coated in blood and Nova lying on the ground beside her. Ian turns around running away from the scene unfolding before us. The look of fear in his face let me know exactly what had just happened. One of the hunters with a rifle had shot Nova. Ian took about two steps before another shot rang out. Blood spray came out of the side of Ian's head like a lawn sprinkler. Ian drops mid-stride, pulls her into the nearest tree line, and I hush her, violent screams. No additional words are needed as we began to both sprint away from the chaos. I feel terrible about leaving Sadie and Katie to die. But any other action than what I took would have led to all of our deaths. I could hear the hunters scrabbling after us. At least, that's what was running through my mind at that moment. Tessa and I ran full speed for what felt like miles. My legs burned, my lungs hurt, and I would not dare to slow down. To my relief, we stumbled upon the trail. I look around to regain my sense of direction. The bridge is this way, I yelled to Tessa, and we began sprinting again. We ran to the bridge, where we flagged down a car, and they called the emergency number to alert the police. I was frantic, trying to explain to the officer what I saw, that we ran off, leaving our friends to die. Tessa could only weep. She tried to tell her version, but she couldn't get the words out. Tessa was physically shaking, and instead of words, vomit was the only thing that came from her mouth. Several hours had passed, and the sun was starting to set when the officers found my friends. The hunters had erected two wooden crosses that Sadie and Katie hung from. Their abdomens sliced open, and the twins were connected by their intestines tied together. Their guts decorated the wooden structure they hung from like a set of gory Christmas lights. 
Ian and Nova, lay at the foot of the crosses. I don't know the reason behind the gruesome slaughter of my friends, but I do know I'll never revisit the Pacific Crest Trail. Thanks for listening to these creepy and allegedly true hiking horror stories that'll freak you out tonight. Whether it's the Pacific Crest Trail, the Appalachian Trail, the Continental Trail, or anyone in between, there are some very weird and strange things going on. Whether it's natural, supernatural, or human invented, you can never guess what's gonna go down. If you enjoyed these stories, please be sure to slap that like button as it helps me out a ton. The more likes this episode gets, the more YouTube promotes it, and that's incredibly helpful to the swamp. If you're new to the swamp, why not join us? Be sure to turn on notifications and subscribe so you don't miss a brand new video. I upload them almost every single day on all things natural and supernatural. If you have a story that you would like to share in a future episode, whether it's a story from hiking or just somewhere out in the great outdoors, I'd love to share it on the show. Be sure to submit your story at swampdweller.net or the email you can find in the description down below. You can also send them in on reddit at r slash thedarkswamp. If you're on the go, but don't have YouTube Premium, but still want to download and listen to your favorite Swamp Dweller scary stories no matter where you are, you can download them absolutely free from Apple Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and pretty much everywhere else you find your favorite podcast online. Thank you guys, as always, for supporting the Swamp the way you do. I couldn't do this on a daily basis without you all. I can't wait to see you with another creepy episode. Be sure to comment down below telling me what story was your favorite, and don't forget to comment the code word, Camouflage Gecko, to confuse anybody who doesn't make it to the end, and just to see what funny comments you make. The funniest one will get pinned. Thank you, and I'll see you soon with another creepy video.